In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt round his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region around the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptised by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able to, from these stones to raise up children from, for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptise you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Please keep your Bibles open. We're going to be studying that together. Let's start. Now, something really unusual happened to me the other day. I was sitting minding my own business, and this bloke just stormed in, and he was waving his arms furiously. It was it was quite weird. It was it was a shame that he made such a scene, really. I didn't really know what, what it was all about. He was shouting something that he thought was really, pretty important. But to tell you the truth, he looked ridiculous. He had this big coat on. He had this baggy trousers. He had big boots. And you know the most ridiculous thing? He had a big yellow helmet on his head with a visor. He looked so ridiculous. I, I thought, I don't even need to listen to what you're going to say. I think he said something about a fire. Now, if that were truly to happen, it hopefully would be clear to you and to me what that man's job is. He's a fireman. You can get his job from what he's wearing. And if we know his job, then his message comes with the authority and the urgency that it deserves. Makes sense, doesn't it? And actually, this is precisely what we're told about John. Uh, Let me read to you verse 1 to 4 again. It says, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who, who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt round his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. At first impressions, we just see a weirdly dressed man causing a scene. But like the fireman, what John's wearing, it actually tells us something about what his job is. 
The hair, the skin he's wearing, the leather belt, is the dress code of none other than Elijah, who's one of the greater prophets in the Old Testament. That's pretty significant for anyone who's, who's a Jew. And John's a prophet, that's his job. His location, well we've been told, it's in the wilderness, isn't it? It links him directly to that, those words predicted by Isaiah, the prophet. And God would speak through prophets like Isaiah to, uh, to, their, to his people about a broken relationship with him. And amidst lots of bleak horizons for them about invasion and exile, they spoke of a day when God would come to his people and reconcile them to him. So I'm going to read Isaiah 40, verse 1 to 3. Listen out for what God says will have come to an end. Now let me read. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. What, what's ended in that passage? What, does, what do they say is ended? War. War. Warfare. What? It's actually warfare with God. God coming against his own people. Uh, because of their rebellion against him. And it's only really with that truth that their sin has been paid for, their sin has been pardoned, that God will now return to them, that he can be together with them again. And that's a wonderful promise, isn't it? If you're someone, one of God's people in the time of Matthew. Well, it is, but it's been 700 years since Isaiah said that. And there'd actually not been a single word more from any prophet for the last 400 years. So, as a Jew, you could have said that God had forgotten you. Is he he going to do that for you? And yet, here on the banks of the River Jordan, the voice of John the Baptist rings out, shattering the silence. And with it, the expectation of God coming to his people comes flooding back. This is wonderful. And John's job is he gets to announce this, the Lord and his coming. Well, if the Queen came to Dagenham, I'll tell you one thing, there'd be a sudden flurry of activity, wouldn't there? And one of the things they'd do, you'd see workmen scurrying around, filling in all the potholes, (laughs) so that her carriage, her golden carriage, didn't get knocked off course and broken and all of that. John's job is to smooth the way in the hearts of the people, ready for the coming of the Lord, ready for Jesus. John is a voice, he has a message, and he's calling out to people to turn back to God, to repent. That's what John's saying. So Matthew's really left us and and the people at the time in no doubt that John is a prophet. And he's not just any prophet. He's the one who announces the coming king. 
He's the one who gets people ready for him by calling them to repent. So when we see John's job as a prophet, we take what he says as urgent and with authority. But like the fireman, to ignore what he tells us would put us in grave danger. We'd miss John's crucial warning to us tonight. But saddest of all, we'd miss out on Jesus himself. So, let's not do that. Let's look at John's message. Let's hear what he says. He says this, he says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's a command with an announcement. And you're used to this kind of thing, okay? When you're happily with your trolley around Aldi, you hear the tannoy go, please go to the checkout. That's the command. The store is about to close. That's the announcement. And the, the command, what they're asking you to do, makes sense in light of the announcement. The store is closing. You do not want to be, end up stuck in Aldi overnight. Get to the checkout. Whenever you see the command and the announcement, the announcement makes, sense, makes the command make perfect sense. Absolute sense. And here we have a command, and the command is to repent. And the announcement is that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now we said, haven't we, that John's announcing the coming of Jesus. That's what he's talking about here. The kingdom of heaven has come because Jesus has come and he is heaven's king. It's him that they've been straining to tell us about. And actually we'll see what John says about him and how mighty and worthy he is. So it's Jesus' coming arrival that makes the call to repent perfectly sensible. And without it, the people will not be ready for him. Well, in verses 5 and 6, if you look down at that, Matthew records that large swathes of Jews were returning to the Lord. Let's read it together. He says this, Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region around the Jordan were going out to John, and they were being baptised by him in the river Jordan. Confessing their sins. They flocked in number from Jewish pubs, Jerusalem, all of Judea. They came out in number. What a sight. And they're coming to confess their sins, to get right with God, and to be baptised. You can almost imagine the confusion in the temple in Jerusalem. The priests turn up, they're doing their normal um, activities, and, and John, you know, Terry says to Dave, you know, Dave, where is everyone? Where are they? Damn, it's, it's been pretty quiet for the last week. Well, they're all down, they're all out in the wilderness with John. It's, you know, that must have been an amazing thing to happen. The temples were emptied because people were hearing this message and they were repenting. Um, So no one can really claim that what John started was some obscure sect. No Jew could say that. 
Neither can it be said that he was just after popularity with people. Because if you look, when the two most influential Jewish sects come along, in verse 7, it's presumably to suss John out. John doesn't exactly shower them with arm around the shoulder flattery. And he says this. He says, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Uh, We'll spend the rest of our time looking at what John does say to them here. We hear two things. We hear a strong attack on complacent unrepentance. And we hear John's own view of Jesus, which is a face on the floor view. Face down on the floor. Um, So, for these two religious groups, their problem was pride. And it was making them complacent. Um, the thing John warns them of is assuming they're in, isn't it? He says, do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For them, it was their association with Abraham that they thought gave them an automatic entry. They were fine. And all this talk of repentance, well, it's not important. Because we're already, in their lives, they're already in. And John has to warn them that they are not safe. They haven't repented. If they had, there would be fruit of that in their lives. And this is the big thing that John wants to tell them. You are not bearing fruit. You have not repented. You are not safe. Complacency always does that. It stops people coming to repent. And the biggest danger is to to assume I'm alright. And not to repent. Here it's actually those who call themselves teachers. And it's a sobering thought. Because it means that the pulpit could be the first place to look for unrepentance. It's possible to teach about repentance... And not to repent. Not to come back to God. Not to, not to uh, throw yourself on his mercy. And to follow him. Uh, John attacks their complacency with two pictures. Uh, let me show you those pictures here. Uh, they're there in verses 9 and 10 if you want to look at that. In verse 9. He says this. God is able from these stones... To raise up children for Abraham. First picture is the stones. If God wanted to. He could raise up children for Abraham. Out of stones. And their their complacency was thinking. Well we're we're the people of God. He has to use us. And yet the truth is. God can do anything and he can use anyone. He doesn't need to use them. The second thing is, um, along the lines of bearing fruit, and it's there in verse 10, 
says this in verse 10. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. There it is, the fruit of the tree, or what used to be. Uh, The only use, really, for a fruit tree that doesn't bear fruit, well, it's to be chopped down and to use and burned. It becomes firewood. And this is the picture that the, the... The people who were claiming to be followers of God, they had no fruit of repentance in their lives. There was no visible fruit of change in their lives, um, of following God. And um, and so there was no repentance. And it's very stark words, but it is about judgment, isn't it? That God can... The axe is already at the root of the tree. Can you hear the... The fact that John's saying this is now. You don't put an axe at a root of a tree just to sort of sit there. It's there because it's ready to cut the tree down. John's saying, it's now. Can you not see it? And we're going to see in the last picture that John gives as well, uh, that it's imminent as well, what's going to happen. This, this thing when Jesus comes of him uh, choosing and dividing and and discerning between who is in the kingdom and who's not is happening Uh, but for these guys and for many of us we just don't see the danger of not repenting and that's actually exactly what they've been told to do isn't it, to repent it's actually the only thing they've been commanded to do is to repent and turn to God Um, But John's response in verse 11 is the second thing I told you we'd look at. Well, it couldn't be more different, really. John sees that Jesus is above all. In verses 11 and 12, John says that Jesus is mightier than him, that he is worthier than him, that his baptism and his verdict, well, it lasts forever. Uh, let's read that, verses 11 and 12. John says, I baptise you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor. And gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So we get three, three pictures. They're going to come, on, come up on the screen. Uh, we get a sandal. Um, and I'll show you what the others are afterwards. John says, I'm not even worthy. This, this one who is coming. I'm not even worthy to carry his sandals. Or to, to tie them up. In, the, in this, their culture, that was the servant's job, the slave's job, to do that. And John's saying, I'm not even worthy to be, to have that position with this person. They are so worthy. Um, I worked as a waiter in the races 
So I got to serve dinner to people while they were spending loads of money on horses and betting and seeing whether they'd win more. Um, and actually, I, I, I got paid minimum wage, I think, but I got to serve dinner to some of the biggest celebrities that were there because I was in this box that, that, where they got invited to at Ascot, right? So there's me trying not to spill the champagne and there's Shirley Bassey and Cliff Richard and some other sporting people around. And yet, you know what? I wasn't worthy to be somewhere else because actually that wasn't the box where the most important person was. The Queen's box was right next door, but there was no way that I was ever going to be in that box because she has her own staff. Security means there's, you know, you're not just not going to get in. Not going to get through the door. And so, as a servant doing that job, I'm not even going to be the one in the Queen's box. It's a no go area. And John sees himself with that kind of light, doesn't he? He says, I'm not even worthy to be the one who serves Jesus. That's massive humility coming from, and, and it shows that he really has got who Jesus is. Um, the second thing we see is that Jesus will baptise as well. And John's saying his bapti- baptism is, will last because, he, because the baptism with water was for, for repentance. John says that. But the baptism that Jesus will bring will bring about new hearts. It will have a lasting change and it will produce all of these fruit in our lives. That it will purify us from sin. That's the real change. And John is saying, Jesus' baptism is much better than mine. Get ready for that. And, and the third picture is the winnowing fork, uh, which is where they, in, after harvest, they divide the, the good wheat, the stuff they want to keep, and the stuff that is just uh, bits, bits of plant. And they, they keep that they gather in the harvest and they say this bit we're not going to have that and they burn it and actually Jesus is pictured as the one who has the fork in his hand so he's the one who is in charge of that process and he can bring people into his kingdom into the barn and he can decide who's not in so Jesus is above all and that's the, why, that's the reason why when John announces his coming. The command to repent, to be right with God, and to, to ask for his forgiveness is the right response. And to come to him today. So the big question is, where does that leave you? Where does that leave us? Maybe you're new to Jesus. It's wonderful that you're here today. Can I ask you a question? Uh, This passage shows, doesn't it, the lengths God went to for a people who had long forgotten him and weren't in any way deserving. Do you think God might be open to saving you? And if that doesn't stick in your mind, remember what John says. God can raise up stones as children for God. He can do it. Why not ask him to do that? And ask for the warfare between you and him, which has been going on way too long, 
Ask for it to cease. For God to save you. To pardon you from all of your sin. Repent. Um, maybe you won't. And maybe you're complacent. Maybe we assume, I'm alright as I am, I don't need to repent. As clear as this one command is, there are so many other theories about, that tell us what will work when it comes to God. The truth is, church religion is one of those. We think it gives us automatic entry without repentance. But where there's no repentance, there's no fruit. So actually, there won't be any godliness. There'll be growing ungodliness. Um, Maybe there's plenty of criticism in your heart towards others. And no forgiveness. Maybe there's plenty of knowledge about God in the Bible. But no real heart change. Maybe there's evidence, uh, there'll be no evidence of fruit, so there'll be no love for other believers. It may be that you need to hear the warning about complacency and come to him. Repent. What if you're a real believer? Um, well, Jesus takes up these same words. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he does that in chapter 4, verse 19. And the disciples do that too. They say they have exactly the same message. And we can have assurance that to talk about repentance, it might sound wacky and people might not like it, but it is the right thing to do. Uh, it's countercultural to talk about repentance, but it will lead people to the right place if we do that. If we talk about repentance, uh, we can show them perhaps from this passage. The dangers and the promises that Jesus will gather up and he will send away. Well, the Pharisees came to the Jordan. They saw everything that was going on. They heard everything that was going on. And they did not repent. They refused to. And next week we'll see Jesus himself coming to John for baptism. And Mike will help us think about what that is. Um, let's pray. I will give you a moment to pray just for you, uh, by yourself. And then I'll pray for us together. Father, we're constantly slipping into seeing ourselves as the great ones. We have very little fruit of repentance in our lives. We are always lacking joy and gentleness. For you have brought us your spirit who makes us your children and purifies us. Please change us. Bring us to see how lowly we are and how great Jesus is. Amen. Amen.